is this morning. It's December. You knew a Christmas series was coming, right? So we're, we're beginning a series of messages called The Light of Christmas. And just spoiler alert, I love Christmas. I am the biggest Christmas nerd probably that you know. Whenever my wife and I got married, it wasn't so much the case. In the early year or two, she had to really prod me to please get the Christmas tree up. No more. No more. I would put it up in September if I could. I love Christmas. And specifically, one of the things I love so much are just all of the traditions and everything that goes into them. Now, whenever you talk about Christmas traditions, whenever you talk about trees and wreaths and all that kind of stuff, this can sometimes be a bit of a tension point for some people of where is the origin of these things? Should we involve them? Here's what I will tell you about any tradition. Who are you thinking about when you do it? And what does it mean to you? Does it stir up your love for God? And so I am all about, I'm here for the trees. I'm here for the wreaths. I'm here for the lights. I absolutely love the lights. Today, my hamstrings and my abs, I do have some of those under here, are super sore because I spent the weekend climbing up and down a ladder, putting the lights on my house. I just, I absolutely love it. At some point, I went from who cares about Christmas to just full-blown elf mode, and that is who I am. That's who I am. And so I want to talk to you, though, this morning about the, the specific tradition of, of lights, and not really the tradition of lights, but the meaning of the tradition. I want to talk to you about Jesus as the light of the world. Jesus says the light of the world. Light makes everything better. Makes everything better. You put lights on a tree and it's not just a tree anymore. That's a Christmas tree. You put lights on on the shabbiest of houses and there's something magical about it. Light makes everything better. And so the best thing that we can do as we begin talking about Christmas and during this season is to turn our eyes toward the light of the world. And so this morning, whenever Fred read this passage out of the book of Isaiah, this is a very just famous, precious passage that we started far enough up in the passage for you to see that there were some things going on. Land of Zebulun and Naphtali, what does that mean? The book of Isaiah is essentially written to a divided kingdom. God had set aside the nation of Israel for his purposes, and they couldn't even get along with each other. Things had fractured and they had fallen apart. You're like, I know that Christmas family. So things had fractured and fallen apart. And Isaiah is really trying to minister the presence of God through the judgment of God and giving these people hope. So Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, alternates between intensity and hope. And so Isaiah chapter one is where we get the scripture, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as what? Snow. So God will always start and acknowledge the depth of the reality. How many of you know there is only good news to the gospel because there's bad news that makes us need the good news? And so the book of Isaiah is communicating good news in the very midst of bad news. And so we see this sort of this passage right here at the time when it was written, all of the events that were just read about were in the future. 
at the point where we're reading it, some of the events are still in the future. But that first part, those sitting in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. That part has begun. That part has happened. And are any of us in a spot, do you guys not think, as many Christmases as we have had, as many Christmas sermons as you may have heard, if you have been in church for a long time, is it not more relevant than ever that Jesus is the light of the world? Can we not use that more than ever? Whether you yourself know Jesus, or if you don't, you're just sort of exploring this deal, we need him. We need light to come in from the outside during a really, during a really dark time. Light is refreshing. It is illuminating. Think of all the times right now where you're walking around a store and you're masked up and you're doing your thing. Think of how freeing it is to walk outside in the cold air and yank that thing off. It's like a B.A., amen? That'll, that'll preach. That will preach. There's just a level of, of refreshment to it. That, my friends, is how I want you to picture this morning the light of the world. The light of the world. Because it's about God initiating something we cannot do for ourselves. A few weeks ago, Crystal was on a women's trip and she is at Waco visiting the silos and, you know, Chip and Joanne and all that stuff with her mother and her sister-in-law. And that means I was solo dad for the weekend. And so that always, you know, you end up in adventures that you would never be with the wisdom of a mom in the house. So, our youngest daughter, Lizzie, is upstairs and she's getting ready and she's gone for a while. And I don't realize it until I hear her coming down the stairs and, and she's in tears. I hear her crying and I hear footsteps coming down the stairs. And I look up and I'm like, honey, Lizzie, what's going on? And she goes, this is the worst day of my life. And I said, what is happening? And she comes downstairs and she has got a comb. My daughter has the biggest, beautiful mane of hair you have ever seen. And she comes down and let's show the first picture. And this comb is just caught in it. And caught is an understatement. This comb had become part of her head. She was trying to brush her hair and then she decided to give it a little twist and it kind of got stuck and she began to work it another way and it got more stuck. And you were looking right there at the start of a two hour process. I'm not kidding. And if I hadn't done what I did, we would still be there right now. There was no hope to get the comb out and I was certainly not, I called Crystal for advice. I'm not going to cut her hair, obviously. And so we're FaceTiming and talking. And so I go out to the garage and I get a tool and I just start cutting this comb out. So next slide, Christy. That was the end of things. At the end of the day, me and my craftsman metal cutters, thank you, Sheila, thank you, dealt with this thing. And we got into it, and eventually, bit by bit, we got it all done. And then Crystal spent a couple of hours a day over the next two nights unknotting the hair and getting her back to where she should be. My daughter was in a quandary that she could not fix herself. In fact, the more she tried, the worse it got. Can you, be, can you tell I've been hoping I could preach this? But it's true. 
the more she tried to deal with herself, the worse it got and the more entangled that she became. Christmas, my friends, is the story of light shining into a dark place from the outside. Christmas is a missionary story. It's the mission of God. My people who I've created have gotten themselves in such a mess. And no rule system, no set of traditions, trying harder is not going to get them out. Jesus, I just picture some conversation like this in an eternity past. You know what we're going to have to do to free these people. And he did. A light has shined into darkness, the book of John says, and the darkness has not overcome it. Christmas is a missionary story. It's Jesus stepping into the world to free us from the tangle of our own sins. You look at where we're getting the world to, trying to just giving God the Heisman, keeping him out of it. Let's keep all the God stuff out of it. Let's just do Christmas without God. You see sort of where we're getting no tradition. Number two is this. The light of Christmas is not a day or a tradition. The light of Christmas is Christ. The light of, you're like, are you saying he's the reason for the season? Yes. Yes, I am. And I am saying this to the degree that we focus on him is the degree that we can have joy in the midst of the Rona or in the midst of anything else. Because as much as I love traditions, getting a tradition to deliver what only God can deliver will never happen. And so here's what it looks like at Christmas to place your hope in tradition and not in Christ. And at Christmas, if your hope is in tradition, you're sweating your budget. I don't know if this is going to be a good Christmas because things are so tight financially. I don't know if this is going to be a good Christmas because relationships are tense. I don't know if this is going to be a good Christmas. And so our mind and our hope goes towards sort of this clenching, hoping we can pull off something hallmark worthy by our own efforts. And that's just not what the light of the world was ever. Those sitting in darkness have seen a great light, not have turned on a light, have seen a light. The light has dawned on them. Have you ever been up and outside whenever it's pitch black and you see the dawn begin? It's not a switch you flipped. It is something you witness. And this is what Christmas is. Those who are sitting in darkness have seen a great light. And as much as I love tradition and all the stuff, the light is none of the tradition. The light is Christ. It's great when traditions deliver, but the point is not the tradition. Holiday means holy day. And it's not holy by any initiative of ours. It's holy to the Lord. So, have y'all ever heard of the Christmas truce of 1914? This is in, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. They've built chocolate commercials around it that are really moving. But the truce of 1914, the Christmas truce, was right in the middle of World War I, and it's on the battlefront between the British and German armies. 
And so on Christmas Day, in the middle of just a little pause in battle, some of the British troops begin singing carols. And I want to read you some of the firsthand accounts from that. It says this, uh, this is from an article in Time Magazine. Most accounts suggest that the truce began with carol singing from the trenches on Christmas Eve. A beautiful, this is a quote, from Private Albert Morin, a beautiful moonlit night, frost on the ground, white almost everywhere. And later on, someone from the 2nd Queens Regiment recalled in a document rounded up by the New York Times, first the Germans would sing one of their carols and then we would sing one of ours until we started up, O Come All Ye Faithful, and the Germans immediately joined in singing the same hymn to the Latin words. And I thought, well, this really is a most extraordinary thing. Two nations both singing the same carol in the middle of the war. A really beautiful thing. Really cool. But it wasn't peace. It was a truce. A truce is a momentary pause in battle. And when we need to, we will get right back to it. Are you looking for a truce this Christmas long enough to have an Instagram-worthy dinner? Or are you hoping for peace? Are you hoping for peace? We can experience peace to the degree that we turn our eyes toward Jesus. And I'm not saying that when we do that, everybody else magically cooperates and everything is just awesome. But I am saying that something unshakable should be able to be had by God's people. So let's look for peace, not a truce. And where do we find peace? We find peace in the light of the world. Peace happens with Christ. And so we read here, Fred read from Isaiah chapter 9, and in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is writing about Jesus coming onto the scene, and basically Matthew says, look, the light that Isaiah was writing about came in Jesus. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And so Jesus withdraws to this region that the prophet Isaiah writes about and says, people living here have seen a great light. So Jesus withdraws to live in this area. And verse 14 says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great what? Light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a what? Light has dawned. And when did that light dawn? When Jesus arrived. He is the light. And so for Christmas, we just have to remember we are celebrating a historical event. Alex, we're not celebrating a routine. We're not celebrating a routine. We're not celebrating a tradition. We're celebrating a happening, a thing, a specific person. And so you look all of this about Jesus in the book of John chapter 8. Jesus speaks to them again, and he says, I am the what? The light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the what? Light of life. So Jesus did not say, I came to point you to light. He did not say simply, my words are light. He referred to himself as light, as light. 
And that is why one of the most important things we can do in any time of difficulty is worship. Engage our whole heart in it. Pour ourselves into it. Because when we turn our eyes on Jesus, it has a way of lightening burdens. That's why scripture says, Jesus, you remember this. He says, come to me, everyone who is weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. One of the most profound insights I've ever gotten over the past few years was whenever I learned about that a few months ago, relatively recently, in the picture that Jesus was speaking in, whenever he says, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, he was using language to give us a picture of a boat so weighed down with stuff that it was almost submerged. It's just about to begin taking on water. And Jesus says, if you will come to me in that situation, I will give you rest. But it's him. It's not a circumstance. It's not a tradition. And notice he says, if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. He didn't say if you acknowledge me, but if you follow me. It's the following of Jesus, my friends, that brings transformation in our lives. Simply acknowledging him is sort of adding a dash of Jesus to our life and expecting that to change everything. But Jesus is not an addition to a life that we would have lived anyway. It's a total reorientation of what we live for and what we believe in. And so what we do as Christians is not just acknowledge him in singing, but we ask him to transform us in reality. And our part of that is to learn and do what we can to act like him. And so here's what it looks like at Christmas time or in church life in general to acknowledge him, but not to let him transform us. It looks like haughtiness, criticalness, rudeness, stinginess. It looks like all of the worst parts of everyday humanity baptized in spiritual language. That's what that looks like. That's what, follow, that's what following religion actually will get you. It will get you new routines. It will get you new things that you have to do whenever you're already kind of busy, but it will not transform your heart and transform your relationships. But if your eyes are on Jesus, if he is your standard of living, and we all fall short of that standard, but we know that he is the standard. And whenever we fall short, we repent and we and Lord, help us to live up to you. We want to be transformed. What we will find is that we really will be different. We really will be different. Third thing this morning is this, God's Christmas invitation to all of us is to come into the light, to come into the light. Here's how you can have the best Christmas ever. Come into the light. Focus on his, and remember, he is the light. Orient more of your Christmas around actually him. I don't care if you feel so incredibly awkward pulling out the Christmas story and reading from scripture, do it. 
You know, I don't care if you feel awkward initiating something new that's actually about God instead of about presence. I'm telling you, do it because God's invitation was not for you to buy stuff and get stuff. God's invitation is for you and I to come into the light. And how do we do that? We come into the light by turning from darkness. We turn from darkness to God. And so in Matthew, in this passage in Matthew, where it says those sitting in darkness have seen a great light, it's talking about the birth of Jesus. And so we can picture that birth and the manger scenes and everything just so beautifully. That warms our heart. But that same baby in the manger is the one who was, is, and is to come. The one who came as a child, went to a cross, was raised from the dead, and at the end of time will judge heaven and earth, and his eyes blaze, Scripture says, like fire. That is the God that we turn to. And how do we turn to him? Jesus said, Matthew begins the first message of Jesus after he comes in a manger, is baptized, you know, all that kind of stuff as he grows up. His first message is this. Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent means to turn. To turn from what? From darkness to life. From me to him. To turn to Jesus, that's what repentance means. And here's the thing. Sometimes, and I think I perceive this morning, okay, we've all, a lot of us have been in this thing for a long time. Sometimes we think of repentance as something we do when we begin our walk with Jesus and then we leave it behind. So we leave behind repentance and everything else from that point forward is about us beating up on ourselves for not being who we should be and just trying to muscle ourselves into being more and more like Jesus. But repentance for a Christian should be a routine thing, a routine thing. How often do you fall short? How often do I fall short? As often as we do, we should repent. That means there's going to be a whole lot of repenting going on in your life and in mine. So here's what religion says. Religion says, I've messed up. I shouldn't go back to church until I get my act together. The gospel says, I've messed up. I need to turn back to Jesus. It's, a, it's really a totally different thing. Religion will actually drive you away from church because you can't live underneath the burden. The gospel will have you running to church because you're a part of a family who is so grateful for what the light of the world has done for you, not for what the light of the world expects of you. And that changes at Christmas time our motives entirely. Do you all see that? I mean, if I'm doing something for my bride because I love her, it's going to be totally different in mode and outcome than if I do something for my bride because I'm married. (laughs) Two totally different things, isn't it? And either way, it may result in me doing something for my bride, but only one of them is healthy and life and light giving. So right now, are your eyes on the light of Christ or are they on routine? Are they on performance? What are they on? What are they on? So we come to the light by turning from darkness 
This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. And how do we come to the light? We come to the light by the kindness of God. We come to the light by the kindness of God. Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians, talks about what can, what can keep us from the light. He says this, The God of this age, referring to Satan and his work in the world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from what? Seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what is the light? It's the gospel of the glory of Christ, Jesus, who is the image of God. It's what Colossians 1.29 says, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Boy, I hope I just quoted that verse correctly. Uh, but he is the image of the invisible God. That is Jesus. If you're wondering right now at home or in the room, how does that invisible, all-powerful God feel about you? Look what he was willing to send for you. I love what Lucy prayed this morning. Jesus in you, heaven has given us the best it had to offer. My friends, that is just true. What could the father have given to prove his love for you and me beyond his son? Not a thing. Not a thing. So what do we do? we turn toward the light and away from darkness. My invitation to us this morning is to turn away from anything, any unworthy thing that has our focus this morning and to turn toward Jesus and reprioritize, friends, everything else in descending order after that. I want to invite the band to come. Jesus said that none of us come to him un unless the Father is drawing them. And so this morning, I just wonder if the Lord isn't drawing some of us to reorient our sight and our focus, to be able to give us a fresh infusion of love and joy, and maybe just re remove some of the burdens that we've put on ourselves to perform, to purchase, to do. Let's pray.